So, Camila, we're sitting in the classroom, we're staring at a blank chalkboard. What should we fill it with? You should have told me that you were going to start the show like that. But anyway, so this is Two OK with Patrick and Camilla. We're going to fill up this blank chalkboard with a bunch of thoughts. Hopefully, we'll synthesize it into a few gleaning points. Um, so I guess what we're trying to think through is how has, how have we been unable to destroy the psychological distance that people, everyone, especially people in the overdeveloped world, um, have built to the eco-catastrophe? Um, how, how is it still an abstraction, even though at this point humans, we are definitively in the Anthropocene? Why have certain movements been able to say, we're definitely going to talk about Standing Rock, um, been able to harness the specific um, issue? And even harness, depending on what you mean by harness, it's another example of Andrew Flint and the incapacity to actually harness the political power and also the complexities of politics and science. And with Standing Rock, political activism, not just in Standing Rock, but all over the world, against fascism and nature, and why in some places it is more effective than in others, and even in their effectiveness, is their actual effectiveness of minimizing the catastrophe. So yeah, you raised, you raised the point of Flint, um, and Standing Rock, I think, goes in conjunction with this. Um, water is is immediate it's it's daily it's necessary it's extremely easy for people to wrap their brains around so what can we wrap our minds around not having water well i think in this case it's more that we can wrap our brains around it it's an easily accessible issue for us and yet we're precluded from like a, a really an action that respects difference and, and solves the problem adequately and and also uh, respects pest abuses. But the eco-catastrophe at large is different because it's tempting for people to say, well, I can't really understand climatology, um, to, to, for there to be an epistemic barrier um, between public's understanding of the issue versus the policymakers, technocrats, um, climate scientists. So you don't think our subjective experience of like the water treatment outside is enough? or the, you know, media, the images that are portrayed by the media in environmental catastrophe all over the world. But what is the barrier between us connecting that personally to the solutions? Definitely very strongly in consideration. And then introducing ideas of the Anthropocene into that, so, a reading that we had in class was The Geopolitics of Democracy and the Anthropocene by Robin Eckersley. And something that she brought up that really was the main part of her introduction was what does any of this mean for the experience of the Anthropocene? The Anthropocene, as we know, is, is the age that we are currently defining as now, although you and I are going to argue that quite a bit, <laughs> which is why humans have become the dominant geological force shaping Earth systems. 
and haven't just become the earth-shaping force, but also didn't really intend to do that. Kind of talk about accidents. To an extent, yes. Although I think with some safety, we can say that um, early and high capitalism as modes of production, um, both in conjunction and distinct from one another, were based on the harnessing of natural resources and the replacement of, of human bodily power with um, uh, mechanized power in the extraction of natural resources. Yes, but we have we have a new potentiality for future, um, which which is uh, that even our material the the material processes say on the scope of the level of the earth um the the control of of the extraction and degradation of natural resources is not through material processes anymore um what does that mean though when we are still dealing with the effects of of the outmoded modes um it's really too early for us to say i think but what should we think about in trying to repair that, um, in, in trying to balance um, how we're dealing with the relics of the past era and, and formulating uh, new and, and better conditions for the, the generation of a new order? It's really, we have to focus, and when we're thinking about like, how do we ensure equitable access, how do we ensure justice? It's not so much that we can control the end process, but that the, the end process is shaped by the conditions that we're trying to set up. Better. So the question here is how to formulate those conditions that are able to enact social change and create new process. And then your question is always if we can do that in a completely new way or if we have to rectify the old processes first. Yeah, what does it mean for us to to assert, as again Eckersley cites, um, I think very cogently and tellingly, that the eco-catastrophe, what she calls the causes for environmental change, were sociogenic, i.e. Um, resultant from disparities within the internal configuration of the human race, and not anthropogenic, as seeing as in seeing the human race as a, as a, a monolithic entity, like like which which holds environmental practices like in conjunction across the species. I'm really not sure that we've made much progress in, in thinking through that. And if if we were to try to, what do you think we should do? I think the differences between the way that countries approach climate change and environmental catastrophes and then the way that, you know, countries that have more power in the world approach other countries, there's always a, you know, kind of like very hypocritical political attitudes towards countries that are not producing as much food or like, you know, biohazards from the countries that are. Mm. So like the the burden is, is shifted onto the underdeveloped world, even though it's it's still, the locus is still in the, the the corporate entities of the overdeveloped world who have colonized in a new fashion and, and are exploiting, rather than causing direct human suffering um, through, say, captivity um, or, or direct colonial administrative dominance, 
are causing indirect but even more acute um, like uh, um, accumulative long-term bodily harm just through the inability of our bodies to cope with pollution and and um, ecological change. Right, and there's the destruction of natural resources as well like in countries that rely on that much more, and obviously the deterioration of the economy, the deforestation is based on the fact that you know, they're planting fields for exploitation of grain products or like sugar for yeah, exactly. processed exactly. foods. Right, so this is like a new climate change and neocolonialism that is taking place. So then bringing up what Exley, Exley, um, you know, shuts down her argument is the democratic problems of the Anthropocene, so our system governance and eco-modernism, which are both valid, although not, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's worth, it's worth talking about, you know, technocracy and the techno-optimism that runs our lives that we think we are able to solve our problems with the continuing of technology. So the, the two options that people see out as either using technology to somehow break down against climate change. Like we can just, we will be able to control the climate better in the future, enough to reverse some of our, our damages, possibly. All of them, probably not. Right, and then the other argument, which is that Earth system governance and the way that society is currently set up, could possibly in any way, shape or form, somehow constrain our human activity. I think that one we can say is definitively not going to happen. <laughs> so Robin instead suggests this kind of reflexive democracy. So to me that means hyper-attentiveness first of all, but also the ability to quickly understand what is happening and react in just as fast of a way, which I just don't see as plausible. If we assume the the current um, liberal democratic political form, um, if if we assume representative uh, democracy, yes, I, th I don't think it's possible. Um, I don't think it's possible because the the way to justice and the way to equity is is not. It's through some accounting for the interests of all. It's it's for all recognizing the interest of each sum. If if that crude formulation resonates at all. Um, I mean, it resonates in the lack of a collective subject formation. So this means that we have to talk about what is inhibiting collective subject formation, um, which I'm sure if you know the two of us, we've been beating this question over your head for some time now. Um, I think what we can say definitively is the means through which we are affecting material change is by collecting information about information which requires more or less perfect recall to process effectively um, do you have perfect recall? I do not have perfect recall. In fact, I have much less than that. And we, this isn't an accident. Well, it may be contingent, but it's it was probably evolutionarily designed to allow us to move past trauma. 
Um, but there is no forgetting in the digitization of modern society. So how do we cope? How do, how do we cope? That, that's where we're at. So and then is, is hyper-reflexive democracy possible in total recall? And if it is possible total recall, is that what we want? Is it possible in better recall is probably, I think we're, a, a, I guess, a more modest way of formulating it because we, we can't just decide to become computers. We can't make everyone become computers quickly. But yeah, if we augmented ourselves at least slightly and at least um, set up safeguards for people who didn't want to be augmented, something like it seems pretty cogent, seems uh, effective. But right now, this thought really ends me in that terrifying episode of Black Mirror, where the where people were able to collect and and remember and keep store their memories, and basically people lived in this virtual world of their past experiences, never actually moving forward, never actually looking to anything besides a past moment, not being living, not not being in present. We're looping. <laughs> We are looping, but how do we loop forward? Yeah. The the linear progress of history and the a set of, of narrative conceits that, that would demand, I think we can say is, is probably no longer useful. So any any how do we take the present from the future and the past? Do, okay, this is this is getting be, very cosmological. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This, do we have to? Do we have to take? Can we not take the present as just for this present moment? So yeah, there we go. That <laughs> sort of ends us on what is your intuition about the nature of time? And maybe once we have access to higher dimensions, these questions will seem trivial to us. Meanwhile, I, Meanwhile, we're trying to figure out how humans work too. Yeah. That's I hope we the human experience. I hope we did a little bit of iteration there before we got sidetracked with uh with our ontologies. Anyway, the world's pretty confusing and we're pretty confused. Stay tuned, okay. Signing out.